This is what taught me that I had to work very hard to get people on my side. And I think that's where this started. I needed to go into um, a, a, a strange environment on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis and instantly um, get the team on side so that I could perform really well. So this transformative process, putting things on the map, putting people on the map, properties on the map, um, I've put sort of men on the map, boyfriends, husbands, whatever. I love this elevation process. And I've been elevated as well. Of course, it's not just me doing this elevation. So this transformative process, putting things on the map, putting people on the map, properties on the map. Um, I've put sort of men on the map, boyfriends, husbands, whatever. I love this elevation process. And I've been elevated as well. Of course, it's not just me doing this elevation. The defend yourself is to rise up and scream and shout and be really emotional i think i've been overly emotional in all of my interpersonal relationships um screaming if i don't get my own way and you know in the market for investment worthy bags watches and fine jewelry rebag is the answer rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity use rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands including louis vuitton chanel and cartier head to rebag.com and get up to 15 percent off your first purchase as a member with code rebag new shop today at rebag.com that's r-e-b-a-g.com and use promo code rebag new for up to 15 percent off your first purchase as a member selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. My guest today is Amanda Caroline Cronin, the CEO, entrepreneur, and luxury brand ambassador, who is also known to have the longest legs in Belgravia. And yes, you've already guessed it, but Amanda is also a model. She was scouted in her teens and her modeling career took her around the world more than once. In 2022, she launched her own skincare line, Amanda Caroline Skincare, something that may not have happened had she not been diagnosed with skin cancer in her early 30s. She admits, it was actually a eureka moment. I began to think more about my skin, understanding about reducing my sun exposure, boosting hydration, working to improve its texture and learning how our skin can affect our whole system. I also became fascinated with the aging process. Amanda will be sharing her life lessons with us in this episode, including what she's learned from being a natural risk taker, why excuses make her feel weak, why she wishes she'd spent more time in education, the challenges of single parenting, and going through a divorce, and how she reframed divorce as a new beginning. I'm always incredibly excited to hear my guests' life lessons, and I can't wait to hear Amanda. So welcome to the Emma Gunn Show, Amanda. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super happy to be here. It's such a pleasure. And I have to ask you, I feel as though enough time has passed since that kind of peak of modeling. I don't know as if people get scouted in the same way, but certainly when I was growing up, you would hear about people who were just out shopping with their mum on a Saturday morning and a card would be put into their hands. And then all of a sudden they were an international supermodel. How was that? How did that story unfold for you? 
Yeah, I think I just remember um, definitely being spotted on the high street, literally someone coming <laughs> up to me on Southampton High Street and <laughs> saying, have you ever thought about being a model? And um, yeah, so I mean, I, I had an aunt who had said to me when I was about 13 or 14, because I was just very naturally very skinny and very tall. Mm. Um, and I had an aunt who'd said, you know, you should be a model, but I just didn't know what that meant. We didn't really have magazines at home. I'm a country bumpkin, you know, grew up on a farm um, in Hampshire. Although my parents were not farmers, but we had a beautiful, you know, 400 year old farmhouse. So I wasn't really exposed, um, quite naive. So I didn't really understand what that meant. And then, you know, later on being scouted in that way, you know, that I was quite lucky because I had this triple um, advantage of growing up around the coast and also the countryside, but we had some really major towns nearby. We had Bournemouth and we had Portsmouth and we had Southampton. So that actually happened to be a really decent agency in Bournemouth um, who worked with London photographers and they used London models and um, they had clients. Um, so that was sort of my first agency was um, Models Plus in Bournemouth. And then I joined an agency in Southampton and actually the money was pretty decent and the work was quite free flowing. So that was my first experience. I was spotted on the high street and um, and I really enjoyed it. And it did take you around the world. Yeah, so eventually um, a, a, a makeup artist said that she thought that there was an agency in London that might take me on. Um, so I thought that sounded like a good idea and I went up to see them um, and they were called um, Top Models. So I went to see Don at Top Models and he said, oh yeah, you'll great um you know what's your name so everybody who, who referred to me as everybody at that point referred to me as Mandy Cronin that's what my parents had sort of nicknamed me and at school I was Mandy Cronin so I remember going to to the London agency which was very chic and they sort of said what's your name I said Mandy Cronin at that time it was all about Mandy Smith and and Bill Wyman and there was all these yes connotations around you know Bill having married this very very young woman and um at that time I think the marriage wasn't going so well so they said do you have another name and I said well actually my name is Amanda and they said oh that's lovely so Amanda Cronin was sort of born um in the early 90s in in London so yes modeling did um take me all over the world and I remember literally the next day earning about 800 pounds for a book cover or something like that. And I thought, wow, and I did the math. I thought, wow, if I can earn 800 pounds a day, this is going to go really well. Of course, you don't earn it, you know, huge amounts of money every day. But um, yeah, it was a very good, a very strong start, I would say. It's always really struck me when I've spoken to people who've had modeling careers, particularly those modeling careers in the 90s, how you were basically kids who then uh, get flown to places like Paris and Milan and maybe places where you don't speak the language and you're you're very very young but potentially naive and all of a sudden you're put into these quite um intense professional situations and it makes me think about risk which is the question I open the show with just did it at any point did it feel like a big risk to be actually leaning into this opportunity because it was one of those opportunities that you you would hate to miss it and look back and think oh if only but at the same time it wasn't perhaps as fun or as glamorous as perhaps people might have assumed? Um, I think I was just, ended up with a very good agency. And I think my 
agency was very protective of me, but I was definitely put in some sort of scary situations. I remember a photographer trying to get me very drunk at one point um, with white wine. And I know that put me off white wine for my entire <laughs> life. And I remember sort of a couple of times being in some weird sort of locations and not feeling comfortable. But overall, I had a very good experience. Um, the models were super friendly. I, I, you know, all of the trips went really well. People were super supported. Um, so I would say overall, my my experience was extremely positive. People say, oh, it's it's, it's quite bitchy and, the, you know, the models can be bitchy. And, and I was sort of pushed back from that. It wasn't the models that gave me a hard time, all the photographers, all the clients. Um, I found that the makeup artists weren't always, always very supportive. And I think this is what taught me that I had to work very hard to get people on my side. And I think that's where this started. I needed to go into... Um, a, a, a strange environment on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis and instantly um, get the team on side so that I could perform really well. Um, and I think the skill set that I have today of relationship building, getting on with people, getting people on side, enabling me to get the best out of myself, this really came through um, my experience through the, through the modeling world. So it was a very positive experience for me um, and allowed me to pivot into other businesses later on. I will definitely be asking you about how your, your <laughs> skills for getting a team of people on side. But um, let's talk about risk because um, you've described yourself as a natural risk taker. But you, and actually you used a phrase that I, I really wanted to unpick a little bit more because you said, Actually, I try to assess any situation objectively and then I figure out how I can de-risk it. And no one has actually yeah. talked about de-risking before on the show. So what does that mean? Oh, really? Okay. So um, I'm a very considered person and I very much consider um, every everything that I do. I take time to process and consider. So I think there's a there's a time period when you're, you know, wanting to make a decision and just to think of all the negatives around that and the impact of those negatives um, and really assess the whole situation and what would happen um, if it took a, a, a turn in the wrong direction. So when I go into something, I consider all of the aspects and then I get to a point where I've considered it so much that I think I've spoken to experts. It's always about bringing people on board knowing your weaknesses, you know, knowing your strengths and bringing other people in that can help you to make these decisions. I always work with the best people um, that I can. And I think that sort of is so important to, to what I've done in this house project recently and in the business. So with expert advice um, and with my own intuition, I come to a point where I would say, okay, I think this is going to work. I've de-risked it by about 90%. And once I've done that and got to that percentage, then I will dive in. So for you, it's about the due diligence. It's about getting the team around you, making sure they know what they're doing and also troubleshooting for worst case scenarios. Um, it's all about due diligence, exactly as you've, as you've described it. You're just um, running through all the possible outcomes and the impact of all of those outcomes if any of those outcomes you know do do take a left turn 
Yeah. Okay. And you talked about this, um, this housing, the, not the housing project, the house project. Yeah. You said that you bought a dilapidated building. And that sounds like <laughs> when you described it, you said, I bought a building that made no sense on paper. Everyone said you were mad, but you saw something and you believe that it could turn into something great, but you didn't yeah. know how to do that. And you didn't yeah. know whether it was fundamentally actually possible, but you still went ahead because I don't know, there's something in that made me think you are someone who can make a bad thing good. Well, I've always been intrigued by, um, you know, it sort of starts off with um, being a free thinker. Um, I like to see things the other way up. I'm a sort of a true entrepreneur in the way that I disrupt um in the space so people might be looking at something one way up but I'm looking at what's what's underneath so I'm always turning it on on its head and you know well I want to look at it from a different perspective so for example with with this property um I had a budget in mind I was going around looking for a property I was seeing the same things just overpriced narrow homes um I wanted to stay in this area that that wasn't going to be possible so I think the messaging is very similar in the house build as it is in the skincare. Um, I couldn't find a property that suited my needs, having quite a large art collection and a lot of stuff, you know, that I'd accumulated beautiful things. So I wanted a property where I could curate my collection. I'm a collector um, and wasn't really finding the right wall space or the right volume of rooms. So I'd sort of been all around the houses um, for a few months and I'd seen this property, but it wasn't, I'd sort of seen it online, wasn't actually sure it, wh where it was. Um, and then finally, my agent said, you know, it's a no brainer, come and see it. I came to see it and I almost bought it on a smell, like on a fragrance. I really, I walked around the property. Um, I saw that it was lateral. I saw four windows across. It's very rare to have a lateral low built house in London. Uh, they told me that the freehold was available from the Grosvenor estate. I have a very good relationship with the Grosvenor. I saw this symmetry that I was able to create and it really was a dump. Mm -hmm. um, my my neighbors um, who, I, who I love, um, and we have lunch together in Monaco when I'm there sometimes, and they, they describe the property as an eyesore. Mm -hmm. um, so not only did I elevate you know, um, a home for myself, um, I really elevated the whole muse. So going back to that, that first visit, so I came to the property, I saw the four windows across, I saw three floor lateral, I saw that you could park outside. So for me, I, you know, I drive in London, I love to park my car outside. I find that a great luxury to be able to rock up your own front door and actually just, you know, be able to, you know, have that space available 100% of the time. So there was this sort of box ticking process, again, the due diligence, it was zero noise, it was freehold, it was low built, I could park outside, I had outside space, there was this sort of terrace that I thought I could make that really lovely. I think in mind, I sort of had this sort of, you know, you have to imagine I was coming out of, um, you know, been living in Monte Carlo for, for, for quite a few years, and it'd been a lot about jumping on and off boats. So I, I sort of thought, you know, I want to sort of make this into a sort of a sexy sort of a definitely a yachty feel to it so um and then I went downstairs and there was this huge double garage um 
which had this double height. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, this double height. And I wasn't really at that point thinking of destroying the whole building. I was just looking at the space and seeing how I can transform it. Going back to, I like transformative processes. I like to take a blank sheet of paper and make it into something phenomenal. I've always supported emerging talent. Um, I've, you know, I've put artists, you know, helped to put artists on the map. Um, you know, I've been amused for, you know, um, Alessandra Rich and Stephen Webster, jewelers, artists, um, musicians and fashion labels. Um, and in, in property, I'd sort of done a little bit for, for myself. So I went into this double garage and it had this old sort of flagstone floor. Um, it was an old carriage house from Regency Times. And it just had this smell of dust and old um, sort of grimy, dusty. And it reminded me of, of the fragrance of the barn that we had at the back of the house, you know, where, where I grew up. And there was this country sort of gorgeous smell to this. And, and something resonated. And I think nostalgia kicked in to a degree. And, um, and that was it. So I, I went outside and I offered on the spot. And I think I had my offer accepted within about a week or so. Um, and then I went through the de-risking process of getting every expert that I could lay my hands on, including a planner from Westminster who came and he said, yeah, it's not listed. You can do anything you want with this building, basically. Um, and, you know, being a muse house, um, muse houses are not listed, which not everybody knows. They're kind of a bit of a, a cult Um they have a sort of a cult following. So Muse Houses um, was sort of the staff quarters um, for the big houses in Eaton Square. So this house would have served probably Buckingham Palace or, or, or you know, it would have been a carriage house probably for the palace or, or some other property um, in Belgravia. So they didn't give them any architectural merit. Um, so I love the idea that I've given this house such a transformation and really put it on the map where before was just a sad coach house that no one cared about. So this transformative process, putting things on the map, putting people on the map, properties on the map. Um, I've put sort of men on the map, boyfriends, husbands, whatever. I love this elevation process. And I've been elevated as well. Of course, it's not just me doing this elevation. Um, so it's the transformation process. It's taking something from nothing and creating and having that vision. I brought people here to look at the house. Some people got it, some people didn't, but I think it was probably the gossip going around London. Oh my God, Amanda's bought this, you know, crappy, crappy house. Um, and today, you know, I should imagine it's one of the most beautiful homes in, in, this, in this area. So that's just something that I love to do. Um, yeah, if that answers your question. <laughs> Well, um, when they said to you, it's not listed, you can do anything you want to it. Is that is that kind of not just a green light, but is that the kind of thing that just makes you think, oh, well, it is on. I am going to if you're telling me there are no limits, I'm going to push it right to the very edges. Yeah, well, I I, I still I, I think I still at that point didn't know how difficult it was going to be. Um, because even de-risking it to to that level Definitely when the planner from Westminster came over and he said, yeah, you can knock windows here, you can knock window openings there. You know, I wanted to double the size of the windows on the front elevation. But it was a very complicated build because I had to not only go to Westminster planning. Once I came out of Westminster, I had then to go to Grosvenor Estate, which is the Duke of Westminster. So they had to sign everything off and then creating a team around that. And you have to understand that this property was built during the pandemic. 
So during the pandemic, where a lot of people were sort of chasing the party or chasing where it was free and open and, um, you know, just taking that time out, um, I built a skincare line, built a property, filmed a TV show, and obviously had my daughter at home back from New York, which was very challenging because she was very upset. So it was a very productive time. But 75% of Westminster planning were furloughed during the pandemic. And 25% was unsupported working from home. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a lucky um, event that my planning officer stayed working on my project, or it probably would have been massively delayed. And then as soon as we came out of the pandemic, all the costs shot up and I'd locked in my contract pre-pandemic. And then it was about building a team, which was also very challenging because the first team I fired, I think the second team I fired, you know, and finally I ended. The only person I didn't fire on my project was my builder um, who stayed on board the whole time. But the, the team would change because I just found people difficult to work with and I found them dishonest and I found them greedy or, or incompetent. And... Um, or, or not having my back. So it really was, um, I mean, I've got a friend of mine who's a, a, a very, very successful businessman and owns um, huge um, pieces of land all over the world and many, many famous hotels all over the world. And he literally said to me, if you can pull that off, Amanda, you're cleverer than me. And I'm just like, well, that just spurred, sort of spurred me on. And I did have comments from like that from people who really just didn't think I was going to be able to achieve this and looking at it today I really don't know how I achieved it it is some it's quite extraordinary but it happened and it is here and it's real I added a lot of value to a property that had a lesser value and adding value um whatever it might be I I love that process as well so in terms of um the the risk side of things like what yeah. was there to lose because everything that you're explaining exactly that's millions what, millions of pounds yeah yeah i'm flinching because every time you say something i think <laughs> um the, the stakes are really really high and obviously not very many people um listening will be uh thinking about renovating or doing up a property on the my bank told estate. me not to do it everybody told me not to do it they said no 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 just you know what did i know about construction zero mm. What did I know about project management? I can remember being at Hotel de Cap and sitting there with project management books. <laughs> so um, I had a little glance at them. And, you know, the same thing about the skincare, which we'll talk about, you know, what did I know about business at the point where I decided to launch a business? Nothing. What did I know about skincare? Well, as a consumer, quite a lot. But, you know, that's, diff you know, not everything you need to know. Well, so let's discuss I'm that. Because I... about lear learning on the job. Um, I'm a quick learner. I identified that mm. um, a while ago and, and um, I'm clever. I don't have a big education, um, but I pick, I pick things up really quickly. I listen to people. I respect people's opinion. I listen to experts. I receive information um, and I'm always recording. I go through life recording. So it's my exposure that's helped me, I think, with all the projects and processes that I've gone into. Sorry to interrupt. What were we Let's talk about the skincare line because again, you're starting that at the same time as you're doing this huge renovation. You're doing yeah. this huge project. 
as you yeah. said, you were uh, a skincare consumer, but not a skincare mm. business owner. And you decide no. to add this to your portfolio. So, I mean, first of all, why? What was the, why I did know. you feel as why? though you needed to add a product to the market? Yeah, well, it starts, I mean, you know, the story starts from the beginning, you know, I was going uh, through my separation, I was very, very fearful. It was Christmas 216 going into 217. And the wheels were falling off my marriage, my ex husband was not coming on the Christmas holiday after 12 years, it was a very scary time for me and my, and my daughter and his kids were very upset as well. And um, so I was already thinking about what what am I going to do um, at that point? And I I had, um, you know, dinner. I was out and about on a Friday night. A friend had invited me out to dinner and the owner of the restaurant wanted me to help him with something. Because at that point, I'd been working in the luxury space. Mm. I was one of the first people on Instagram. I'm going to say 2009, are we talking about? Um, so I'd been helping and promoting luxury brands and I had a deep understanding of luxury due to exposure um as I said Alessandra Rich Stephen Webster the fashion brands uh Sophia which is very big on net I mean under you know, under my steerage you know we took that from zero to Meghan Markle and I knew that I could create an environment where people would like to spend money that was something that I'm able to do I'm all about experience and environment so um, I'd been helping other brands and, and brands on Instagram, like really young fashion brands and helping to promote them for free. Um, okay, send me something, I'll post it. And it was working. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. And it was a great distraction through my divorce process. But I knew that um, at that point, I, I already had an idea that I wanted to 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 do more and you know I would come to my ex-husband you know he was a very big businessman and hugely successful and I would always be coming to him with ideas and oh, I, I think I could do this and what about that and you know always getting shot down in flames and yeah where's the revenue yeah that's not going to work oh no that's silly no 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 so there was always this hunger for me to have this um, work project and I just didn't feel that I had the opportunity um so I, I was in a Dinner, 216 Christmas, wheels falling off the marriage, going on holiday on my own with my daughter. Friends had invited me. They said, Don't worry, we'll look after you. The Webster's actually. And um, and anyway, I looked up and on the on my table was sitting this gorgeous silver fox who was I, you know, I'm I'm quite shy, I'm quite nervous. Um, as a person, you know, um, I have to break through that. I'm got fundamentally, I'm quite shy. And um, I look up and I'm like, oh my God, he's good looking. Couldn't even look at him for about literally a few seconds. And then finally I sort of, hi. <laughs> and we said hello. And, you know, he was a massive CEO. And he said, how's it going? I said, yeah, not great. <laughs> told him my tale of woe. He sort of told me his, you know. And then um, I said, yeah, you know, I want to do something. I was really passionate, you know, telling him the story. I said, I want to, got this great following on Instagram. And, you know, really, you know, really think I want to start my own brand. And he was just like, so... So what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I just got this whole, you know, I've got a, I've got a thing, you know. And, and Matthew Freud had told me everybody needs to have a thing. And I was just like, oh, what does that mean? Anyway, I decided that I needed a thing and I didn't have a thing. And I decided my thing was that a lot of people think I look younger than I am. Um, that could be my thing. You know, I often get sort of 10 years younger or something like that. 
So I thought, hmm, how do I bottle that? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> maybe, maybe I can. <laughs> so we had this conversation where I said, you know, I'm just like, you know, I got this thing. He said, what's your thing? I said, well, you know, I got this daughter. She's like 21, 22 at the time. She said, oh, wow. So I did not get that. Probably thinking I was maybe late 30s or something like that. Maybe I was probably late 40s at that time. So I said, yeah, I've got this thing. And um, I, I, so he said, how many followers have you got? And I said, at that time it was about, I mean, today it's like 78,000. At the time it was probably half that. And, and he said, well, you're not going to make any money with that, are you? And like, really, I get like shot me down in flames. And I said, but this time I kind of defended myself. And I went, yeah, but, you know, got the thing. And he went, hmm, that's interesting. Very interesting. So a huge visionary, massive CEO, took his own company from zero to three billion and then sold it again, I think recently 12 billion. And um, and so the idea was sort of born that, you know, I could potentially m- make some products. I weren't sh- wasn't sure what they were going to be, but I was interested in staying young, look- looking for longer, sort of slow aging. Um, and I felt that that was the space that I wanted to get into because I'd been really interested in this subject, epigenetics. I sort of decided at like late 20s to just switch off the aging process. I just thought, um, I read a bit about it and I thought, oh, well, you know, just press a button and switch it off. I'm just going to refuse to age. It was just something, I think also being a model, it's a short career. I think that, you know, you do get quite focused on that. Um, anyway, so that, so that was the beginning, went through the divorce, got out the other side, and then I was I was off. I found a formulator, uh, went 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 down that road, didn't work out. Found a second formulator who was incredible, heavyweight in the industry, worked for some of the biggest brands in the world. I knew I wanted a British brand. I really focused on promoting British brands. I'm very patriotic. I got more patriotic. Sort of um, it, the, the more time I spent out. For- country and the more my sort of my ex-husband tried to push me out of the UK I think the more I appreciated it and I felt like the UK protected me in my divorce process Mm. so for me I always thought sort of charity begins at home and if I can promote um not that this is a charitable business but there is this patriotism around me I just love this country I'm obsessed with the UK and anything I could do to promote a British brand um, I did, and I knew that I wanted a British brand. There was never any question that my products were going to be made anywhere else. So found an incredible formulator, found a manufacturing consultant. And then, you know, the story of me, sort of similar to the house, couldn't find a house that was suitable for me. Um, so I decided to create my own. As a consumer, I was struggling to find products that were suitable for my skin so I decided to create my own um I had tried products you know from from quite good brands but I was really struggling having congested skin open pores oily t-zone I was really producing a lot of oil and that was coming for the fact that my skin was really dehydrated but if you've got oily skin with open pores and congestion like you don't feel like putting on a thick cream on top so I thought if I can disrupt, um, again, true entrepreneurship coming through, let's look at this from another perspective. What about if I can create 
a very rich cream, rich through the science, rich through the, the ingredients, the botanicals. But what about a new texture disrupting the mindset that a rich cream has to be thick? No, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be sticky or thick or greasy or gloopy. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. So developed a new texture, um, which is very, very light and really absorbent. Because if the product doesn't absorb properly, it's not mm -hmm. going to do anything for you with all the best ingredients in the world. So incredible formula for the for the uh, incredible unique formulas um, using only new ingredients to the market in the main um, market leaders in using rosality, which is the next generation vitamin C. So we brighten, we work with pigmentation, but it also has a lovely benefit of calming the skin, taking off redness. It's a de-stressor for the skin. So we were one of the first to the market. I'm not going to say the first. We may have been the first. We may have been one of the first. I know um, other brands are starting to use it now, but their development process will be slower than ours because we're nimble. But yeah, I created this new light absorbent texture. So um really proud of that and it's working really well and the feedback from the customer um is, is very rewarding so normally you launch a, a skincare line with um a hero product i decided to launch with two hero products and i launched a serum and a cream so they work in harmony and now just launched my third product which is a cleanser so the hope lift duo is now a trio um and the challenge actually newbie hands i was with last week gave me a, a challenge which i'll for those who don't know, sorry, Newbie Hands was a very, was a longtime uh, beauty director at Harper's and has also been the beauty director at Net-A-Porter. Obviously, Amanda knows this, but for those listening who who don't know, Newbie is also a friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, so global beauty director of Net-A-Porter, as you as you correctly said. So, um, rising to Newbie's challenge, certain things resonate with me. I can't receive, I can receive information, but I can't store it all. Um, but certain things resonate. So, you know, the, the vision is to have each product complementary to the next one and to convince the customer over time that they can invest in the whole range. And that's all they're ever going to need, Amanda Caroline Skincare. And I know it's a big um, ask, a big task, but I'm going to rise to that challenge. It doesn't make sense to me at all for people to be mixing my products with any other brand because I know that with the range, I've got seven products in the range, three are launched um, already, and then more products will come over time. But I actually have seven uh, developed and some are in testing, some are out of testing already. So, yeah, the vision for the brand to have this 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 range of skin care products and then moving down to the body and then a perfume in the range and um, probably a supplement I should imagine and then moving on to color cosmetics and then I would love to have you know very inspired by Sarah Chapman when I went in to have a look at what she was doing in Pavilion Road I thought that was fantastic to have this beauty you know beauty treatments in there with the products and you know there's lots of takeaways from other brands as well so obviously a sort of a spa we're already rolling out beauty treatments we I mean talk about expanding fast this week and last week and this week I had a new product launch a new facial launch the Amanda Caroline Y face a lymphatic draining 
uh, sculpting glow facial and two retailer launches in two weeks in, in two weeks then i'm off on holiday so driving very fast creating the best products um in my opinion and these products are really working i mean i'm getting feedback from customers best cleanser i've ever used you know we, instantly brightening instantly plumping they love our little hint of english rose it's a very glamorous brand but it's also very powerful was it intimidating entering the skincare space selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Was it intimidating entering the skincare space considering that there are so many dermatologist-led brands, expert-led brands? And yeah. I mean, you talked about, as listeners will know, I asked people to fill out a questionnaire before they do this show. And you've said that you've had to push back on the dumb blonde stereotype quite a lot over your over your career over the years. Yeah. And I think entering a space like beauty can be hugely intimidating, especially now when dermatologist voices and qualified voices are so loud yeah. and so respected. Did you feel yeah. any of that? No. <laughs> I think if I contemplated that, I would not have entered the space. <laughs> I think there was only one way to enter it, and that was being completely, I'm not going to say blinkered, but just not distracted by any other brands or any other um you can be inspired by people in the industry for sure um that's that's not the way i roll i know what i'm doing doesn't really matter to me what anyone else is doing mm -hmm. i do feel qualified to bring these products to market because i have one of the best formulators in the world mm -hmm. who worked on brands such as elizabeth arden she formulated for Anita Roddick back in the day, was back by her side in the heyday. So I know how heavyweight my formulas are that I co-create with her. So that doesn't, uh, what other brands are doing up to them. But this person that I have is a genius and I'm good at branding been in that space um and i'm able to connect to my customer i'm a very relatable person so yes of course i wish i had a dermatology qualification it'd be great if i was a they doctor. take a while amanda they take a while i think it's seven seven years yeah <laughs> um i i definitely um i i think there um it, 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 it's, a, it's a very interesting question, and I think I've probably had to try an awful lot harder than a lot of people who may have launched a brand that would have been a doctor dermatologist, maybe an ex-beauty journalist, um, or an aesthetic practitioner. 
Um, I think that the doors were closed to me completely. Did you feel that? Yeah. Um, but I managed to go through the door and on the other side, actually, everyone's been amazing. <laughs> and day by day proving myself in the industry, but it has been hard, but I'm sure it's tough for everybody. Mm. Business is hard. You know, you could have someone who's got an amazing brand and an amazing product and an amazing story, but it doesn't even get to market or it gets to market and then they run out of money or it, for one reason, it, it doesn't work. Um, for some reason, it is working for me. People are understanding now the the level and the quality of the products that I'm creating, uh, that my company is creating. Uh, we've got a very heavyweight team. I used very, very heavyweight consultants on the brand to build the brand before we launched. I used consultants from Charlotte Tilbury, L'Oreal, Revlon, I'm going to say Trini London, Harrods, Harvey Nichols. I mean, you know, I had the resources to be, to be able to um, bring on incredible talent um, in branding. Um, you know, this incredible formulator, you know, I've got an amazing team in, in, in the office, very heavyweight um, business manager that's been with me, you know, since June 2020. Um, that, you know, this has been massively helpful so I've again gone to the top people and I have leaned into them to help me with this brand the infrastructure and what we built even before we launched is massive so this might look like a small brand but it's it's not small at all we might have a relatively small um, product um, range launched although Augustine's beta launched with one product we actually launched with two and now we've got three we only launched a year, just over a year ago, a year and a half ago. So we're very, very young. But um, I went straight to the top and I'm in the prestige category and I'm competing with La Prairie and brands in that caliber. So just cutting through all the noise, just cut through it. Just, just you know, I believe in my products. I believe in my team. I believe in my formulator. I believe in my warehouse. I believe, you know, I've got warehousing in the US, warehousing in the UK. You know, I've got I'm global already. One and a half years post-launch, we're already global. I've got three retailers in the US already. Saks Fifth Avenue knocked on my door two weeks after I launched. So we've had phenomenal success already in the brand. How do you explain that? Mm -hmm. I don't just believing in, my, in, 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 yeah, but self-belief, believing in my team, believing in my brand, believing in the products. So, yeah, it doesn't really figure um, at all who's doing what. Go for it. I know where I'm going and we're driving very fast and we're, we are building a billion dollar company. It's very, very real. Um and, and that's what's happening. It's just, it's happening. It's happened. It's happening. And I've had a lot of support from a lot of amazing uh, retailers. For me, if I deal with the best people in the business, I don't seem to have a problem. Mm. And I, I enjoy the fact that when I asked you before the show, if there's an obstacle you've ever had to overcome, you wrote the most perfect answer. And I think it's become really clear in listening to you now that nothing really phases you, even the tough stuff, because you said life is a series of battles and obstacles that must be overcome and won. 
Yeah, I don't think there's ever a time when we haven't got one battle or another. And definitely in business, you know, it's, you know, as soon as you've got into one retailer, as soon as you've, you know, launched something, you know, you're on to the next. Um, we had a lot of challenges before we launched. It was very, very difficult to launch this brand. Mm. Um, but I knew that when we did launch, we would sell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but getting to launch is very, very difficult. I'd love to, to help people with that. I'd love to consult with that. Um, you know, I do mentor and I do consult for free. Um, my journey, I love sharing. But does that mean if you knew that it was going to be successful once it launched, was there then a temptation at any point to rush it? How do you kind of, how do you get your head in the right space in that, on that journey where you're like, I know this is going to be hugely successful. So I just want it to happen. But equally, there's probably something, there's probably some prudence in slowing that down a little bit. So it's right. What do you, what are you referring to exactly? Are you referring to the, um, anything, anything really, because you talked about when you, you knew that when, um, when it hit the market that it would sell, Mm. but obviously you have to take a run up to any kind of launch. And I guess when you looked at that building, you had this vision, you know, how it could look at the end, but there was a long journey. And I wonder, I mean, the, the the product, sell well but it but they it take it takes time it's almost like the money comes later you know what what I'm doing in the business now is um building relationships and opening doors um there's millions of doors that I can open around the world for this brand the right doors open the wrong doors do not open and I don't have an issue with that the brand finds its own way to its retailer and to its customer it has its own identity and its own personality and even its own voice, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. So, um, yeah, there is no desperation. There is no rush. Oh, not not desperation, um, but it's just so, that sort of yeah. being excited, that Christmas Eve feeling of I just want to open my oh. presents, but I have to be methodical about how I do this because I've surrounded myself with these incredible people. I've got a world-class formulator on. I just want it yeah. out, but actually have to well no I mean the you know the brand we started uh we started developing the brand in I'm gonna say January 2020 even even you know summer 219 really so it came to market um I'm gonna say um you know Christmas um New Year 2223 so um there was there was three years of development anyway which is about right I think for 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 this type of company yeah no there's definitely no no rush I mean um you know we we want to be we're an exclusive high luxury brand so we don't want to be everywhere we want to be in the right locations if people have to you know try a little bit harder to find the products that doesn't bother me at all um yeah it's exclusive you know we'll keep it like that um, I'm intrigued by uh, how you handle curveballs because you you take obstacles in your stride, you take mm. your challenges in your stride. You obviously have a very methodical and pragmatic outlook. But um, when I asked you about the biggest curveball, I was actually so almost my breath was taken away by one of the answers because you said mm. my ex husband falling out of love with me very suddenly without any real explanation, mm. and I can't imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah, I really felt like abandoned you know I visualize everything and I just felt like a, 
I just saw a dinghy that might have been attached to a boat. You know, sometimes you'll have a day boat and it's got a dinghy attached to it and it bobs along behind you. Um, and it was just cut loose. So then I was just drifting. Drifting is a, a very dangerous place to be in business or in personal life. What does drifting mean to you? Lost. No and sense of direction. Unable to find your way. Don't know how to navigate. Yeah. And how, uh, because I'm sure it's lots happy. of people can relate to that feeling of feeling lost alone. Right. Yeah. What's the way to become not drifting? I know. So then, you know, the other visual is to sort of, you know, cling onto that rock. You know, we like a rock to cling onto. So, yeah, I was drifting. Um, and then, um, I don't know, I just found my way. You know, I was able to find my way, you, had, you know, back, you know. But that was definitely a very painful time. It was definitely a summer in the south of France where I was, was I was abandoned. You know, I think he came to see me once in two months and my mum was there and I just said, you've abandoned me. And he was like, no, I haven't. And then he left again, you know, because <laughs> at that point, uh, we're, we're friends today. It's not an issue, um, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, it was a process I had to go through. I just to to find my way. I had to focus. I had to refocus. I had to um, accept the situation. I think acceptance is a big one. Accept mm -hmm. what's happening. Um, I'm a person that doesn't give up. I think, you know, you've already sort of touched on that a bit. Like, I'll keep going and going and going and going. Like, there is no no, there is no I can't do it. You know, I will just find, you know, there's infinite, you know, ways to do to do something um but um yeah I had to I had to really sort of start to think that I'm going to have to deal with with this and how does that look and who am I going to get around me to help me with this so I started to create a team mm. it always comes back to a team I'm in the center surrounded by people that are going to protect me, help me, um, support me, and uh, help me win mm. battle. You can't do anything on your own. It's impossible. So I got, you know, I got a team of very heavyweight people around me, and also that's when I came to faith during that time. And um, and I got through this this terrible time and got out the other end. And uh, and then that's really just the beginning. Because after that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, healing. And again, like you're shedding a skin and you're very naked, you know. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot there's a lot to deal with. So probably throwing myself into work. Mm hmm. As in, it? as in the skincare and the house build and other projects, you know, you just, you know, I, I probably did just, I was just ready to just become very, very busy. Mm -hmm. Obviously yeah. this is not about the specifics, but it was something about your answer where you said you were left very suddenly without any real explanation. And mm. again, we've all been on the receiving end of uh, rejection, 
But I wondered mm. if you tried to get an explanation or if part of the acceptance that you talked about was it doesn't matter what the explanation is. How do you feel about finding out the reason for something? I think everybody likes answers and I think answers are really important. And I do feel that even today I don't really have an answer. Other people have said, oh, it was this, it was that. Different kind of explanations. I've got my own take on everything. But I think in the end, um, you know, I tried right up until the last minute with my marriage. Um, People would have assumed that it was me that was doing the leaving, again, being stereotyped as this sexy blonde, you know, probably she's had an affair or cheating on him, you know, and it was completely the opposite. I've never cheated on any man. It's if you're a cheat, you're a cheat. I don't cheat in business. I don't cheat in my personal life. Um, That's just the way I live my life. So, um, yeah, I mean, right up until the last second, I really thought we were going to get back together. And even when when we were in the divorce process, I thought, oh, we're just going to get divorced and then get back together. (laughs) Like, who thinks like that? (laughs) Like, even now, I probably still think we're going to get back together. (laughs) Because he was such a big part of my life. And then... um, I remember um, I said, darling, I mean, I was always so polite. I said, darling, you do know I'm filing for divorce today. And he went, I said, are you sure this is what you want? Like right up until the last minute. I was also protecting the children, you know, because we had three children. He had two, I had one. We were a family of five. I said, darling, you do, I'm literally there filing the paperwork today. And he just went, go for it. And I always remember that. I'm like, who says that? You know what I mean? And then... Mm -hmm. Now we 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 chat and have lunch or I'll see him and do cab and we swim and whatever, but we never talk about the past. We only talk about the future. Mm. So um I think the what I, I think there was a lot today on reflection. Yeah, I mean, we were just we were not in a good place. And I the the we we always knew that there was a chance that this was gonna blow up, it was gonna over-rotate. We took our eye off the ball of the relationship when we took two put too much focus on other things it was not healthy you know if we'd had a more simplistic life if we'd had less homes if we had less social life if we we had just focused on being a a small family unit uh, if we'd been normal (laughs) you know that that probably wouldn't have happened so the normality um today that I've managed to achieve Mm. has made me very healthy as a person and for my business and for my interpersonal relationships just normality over rotation on anything like a watch you overwind it it's going to break so just pulling everything back you know you don't need multiple homes you don't need 10 cars and 10 staff and a ski chalet and a a house and a house 50 minutes down the road from your other house you know what I mean it's just like you know because at the end of the day, what we never managed to achieve was being together as a family. Mm-hmm. So the family unit that I really, really needed and really wanted, we were never able to achieve it. So mm-hmm. it was just there were sort of lessons learned. And, you know, looking back, you know, of course, we just got swept away. It can happen. Mm-hmm. It does happen. Do you have quite a good emotional barometer now? 
having had that experience for when things are out of balance and you can bring it back to that normality that you've described to that sort of that base level where you know things are actually going to operate efficiently yeah I'm very conscious of everything just has to feel very very real and very good and um just just much more respect it's all about respect in the end of the day the reason relationship Relationship breaks down is normally due to respect one level or another. So just having a massive respect for everything you're doing, the people around you and showing that. And um, yeah, just just being, you know, very, um, very, very protective over who who's in my world today. I don't have surface level relationships. I don't do anything for the, I'm anti, I'm kind of almost anti-society in a way. I think there's a time where you just want to be in society and then you want to be at the top of society, whatever that means, it's ridiculous, you know? So today society means nothing today. Everybody's equal. I don't care what you've got. No one's better than anyone else. I don't need to hang out with rich people. I don't need to, to, um, to pre- not pretend, but just take people value people more because they have more. That's ridiculous. Mm. Um, let's just peel it back and just value each other for what's in our hearts today. Yeah. That type of person. You described something about uh, when I asked you about a weakness that you consciously work on and that you said that um, when I'm let down, I take it very hard, but I also react in a very hard way. Sometimes I have no mercy on myself and others. And I could really relate to that in the sense that if I feel let down by somebody, it for me, it's crushing. And my instinct that I have to work very, very hard on is not to hurt them back. That was what a young, immature Emma used to do. Because I used to think, well, you've hurt me, therefore it's coming at you. But it sounded like you've had a similar journey in that in that sense. Yeah, and no, I can be ferocious. Um, <laughs> Still. I mean, I'm a very calm person and um, today, and I'm a softer person today. I think we, we talked about that briefly. But, um, you know, on the questions, but I'm... So anyway, I was in Mexico a couple of years ago. I love Mexico. I go every year, but it wasn't this trip. It was the last trip. Mayan readings, so fun to do. Actually, it's not against Christianity, so I'm allowed to do things that not everything is is within the realms of what I practice. But the Mayan readings, so I came out my spirit animal as a scorpion. Oh. Nothing to do with my horoscope, which is a Virgo. The okay. spirit animal in the Mayan culture is completely different. The scorpion actually is interesting because it's a very, very sensitive creature, sensitive, intelligent. But if you stamp on it, well, it could kill you. <laughs> I mean, it would, it would maybe put you in hospital. So there is this defense mechanism that I think you're talking about. Mm. The- defend yourself is to rise up and scream and shout and be really emotional I think I've been overly emotional in all of my interpersonal relationships um screaming if I don't get my own way and you know being really harsh and definitely harsh you know we discuss being harsh on my daughter if I don't feel that she's doing something right but I do feel that that's all fallen away 
And now I've I've created um, an environment where I exercise more, I'm going to say soft power. And I know, you know, that's kind of trending that word, but it is, it's a soft way to deal with things, but very, very strong. But if anybody comes at me or my business or my, or my, or my family or anything, you know, around um, that, um, I, I will rise up and I, you know, I will go there and um, I'm an educator, you know, um, I don't, I don't mind confrontation and I can, I can be brutal in the way that I deal with people that have been disloyal to me or have tried to hurt me or my family or my business. So um, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's my reputation. And we started, and one of the things I said I was going to come back to and ask you about was about this ability that you have to get a team of people on side when we were talking about those photo shoots that used to be on. And for anyone who hasn't been on a photo shoot, but can probably imagine what it's like, you're the model, but you've got a photographer who will probably have one, potentially two or three assistants, a makeup artist, a hairstylist, a stylist, maybe another couple of assistants in the room. So it's actually not a small, it is a small group of people, but it's a mighty group of people. Mm. And you said that you have a really good skills at getting people on side that you learned there that you've used in uh, the construction in the business. What are your keys, do you think, for getting the best out of people and getting them on side? Brainwashing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's sort of, it started off, um, you know, as a, as a model. So it doesn't just start at the shoot. Remember, it starts at the casting. Mm. So now yeah, you've never done casting. one of those, Amanda. <laughs> okay. So you're doing the cast, the casting can, you know, could, could be anything, you know, very, very short amount of time to, to convince someone that they need to use you for the job. Um, so I think my convincing skills were honed during that process when you might have three minutes to convince a panel um, that, that you're the one for the job, you know? I mean, I can remember going on a swimwear shoot for CNA and you know, sort of beguiled the photographer and he said, oh yeah, great, book her immediately. And then got on the plane, he said, oh, she's completely flat chested. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't really gonna work. Like literally double A, you know? And, um, I sort of uh, was always that person to be like, oh, yeah, I can play tennis. Yeah, I can ride a horse. Windsurfing, yeah, no problem. And then get to the shoot and I can do any of them. And then in 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 the job, you know, I, I did used to feel that some of, the, some of the makeup team and the hair team used to try and put you off your game. Like maybe it was a bit of a sport. You know what I mean? So I always sort of, you know, used to, 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 to try and um, really get them to like me because I realized that, you know, I would do a better job if I felt comfortable and if I was confident. And, you know, if someone's sort of done a, you know, made a put down remark or been mean to you, you know, while they're doing your hair or makeup, you know, they might, you know, I can, I can remember makeup teams sort of bullying models and kind of, they were like, uh, oh, I can't do her makeup. Look, she's too old. You know, it's the makeup sliding off. Um, this isn't going to work. I've tried everything. And this poor model's now got to go in front of a camera and try and deliver, you know. I so, feel so, st I honestly, that is so stunning and shocking to me, yeah. having been in the industry for 20 years, obviously in a completely different uh, role. But for me, like the, the makeup artists are my favourite, kindest, most generous people. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm, it was a one-off, but I remember <laughs> it. 
And this was a really long time ago. I'm talking about a memory, a recollection from the mid nineties. And I remember it was a girl called Barbara and we were on a wedding shoot and she was, she was absolutely beautiful. But um, so we're talking about team building. Um, well, you, you know, you bring someone good on board and they probably help you bring the next person on board. And then once that person's on board, then the, then that team is, you know, already, you know, more than one person, that's a team, bring on the third person, you know, then you try and bring on someone else and you just grow the team normally through recommendation yeah, um, or the trust within the team, you would discuss that. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I get people to come and sit on my couch, um, come to my house, have a cup of tea, you know, you sort of get to know someone, eyeball them, have a conversation. I can understand if I want to work with someone or not. Are they going to be difficult? You know, straight away if someone's going to be difficult or flaky. Or, mm, mm. Um, and then again, and normally, you know, you try and get the best that you can get. I mean, if you if you go to the top, if you if you stay in that top layer, um, you know, as a sort of um, the place where you live, um, then that top layer normally works out. You know, just just brilliant people with great work ethics, you know, highly competent, ask the right questions, you know, where are you lacking? What do you need? And, and then, and then the motivation, you know, my role as a CEO um, is, is not to be running around like a, a crazy person burning myself out. That's, that's not an investable model um, for any business. So you, you, you need someone who's going to help with all the heavy lifting, um, I'm driving the business forward. I'm relationship building. I'm bringing, you know, making relationships with potential investors and making relationships with retailers and, you know, anybody that I think can can be helpful to the brand and help it to grow. So I've identified how I want the, the, the business to grow and the revenue pillars within that. And I go out searching for that. Or normally it just crosses my path because I'm really, you know, in it. And um, and then to convince my team that this, you know, this is a viable business and to convince them I know what I'm doing mm. so that they want to work hard and diligently for this company. And also we talk about um, a lot about culture in the workplace. You know, I practice high culture in the workplace. There is no place in my company for low culture. What does that mean? Well, high culture is is a way that you would would operate um, non toxic. There's no toxicity mm -hmm. at all allowed, and that um, creates a very very nice place to work. I know that Amanda Caroline already has a reputation for being a very good company to work for and that I'm a nice lady to work with. Mm -hmm. And that's very, very important. So anybody um, who would be practicing low culture, they would go immediately because that can spread. Mm -hmm. You might have somebody who, for example, might be bringing in a lot of money, but if they're a rotten apple and their behavior is toxic and it's low culture, then they would be gone immediately. I would take that hit. Mm. I, I wondered as well, uh, there's a lot of focus here. Uh, you are very focused on all of your goals. And it reminded me of something you said about uh, something a photographer said to you on a fashion shoot. I think you were, you were late. You were, you were late to the shoot. And I think you were obviously 
apologizing. Yeah, we're probably driving from London to Bristol, you know, <laughs> yeah. like something like that. Yeah. It was probably a good reason for it, actually. It was probably a genuine excuse. Yeah. <laughs> and you were apologizing and the photographer just shut you down and said, no one wants to hear that. Come here and do what you said you were going to do. And actually it sounds like, I mean, that would cut me to the quick. That to me would be a telling off, but I like you would also think he's absolutely right. Or she's absolutely right. I will, um, I, that's the energy I'm going to bring to my work moving forward because you don't want to be told that twice. No one cares about your excuses. Yeah. No one cares. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, I referred to Kate Moss. Never explain. Never complain. I thought that was quite cool. Um, of course, you would apologise. Leave it at that. Mm. Sorry goes a long way. Always, as is, as does thank you and please. You know that never gets old. Mm. well uh we have uh hurtled oh. to the end of our time together so i'll say thank you to you now i could <laughs> chat to you, you all day i, I really enjoyed it i definitely felt a bit nervous at the beginning but oh. i you've made me feel very very comfortable oh um, i'm thrilled thank you so much um for having me having me on i mean it's it, it I'm, I'm really um very very happy and well i will it's a pleasure. I will um, put the links to Amanda Cronin, the skincare, in the show notes. And also I will put the links, uh, listeners, to all of Amanda's socials so that you can keep up with her and maybe get an eye on the renovation that she's done and also see any uh, new products that are coming out from the range. But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.